0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Winning coaches have a game plan, then work like the devil to make sure players can execute that plan. The federal government has a plan for disaster response, but sort of falls short when it comes to execution. That's the essence of a detailed report heard by Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, it was created by a group called Business Executives for National Security, or BENS. We get more now from its president and CEO, retired Army General Joe Votel. General Votel, good to have you back.
0: Hi, Tom. Great to be with you again.
1: And your group has been working on this report really since the pandemic. Now we have had a good old-fashioned national crisis to deal with, and it's been a mixed record, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Last March, as we watched, uh, watched our nation kind of devolve into the pandemic, we were paying very, very close attention to this, so we really... Uh, started focusing on this about a year ago, and, and and it remains a very important and relevant topic in our view.
1: And so one of the main recommendations that Benz has made is to include pandemics and other kinds of disasters into the roster of disasters as they're defined by the Stafford Act. Give us some more detail on that.
0: Yeah, so the, the Stafford Act uh, really is designed to help get resources Money, people, leadership focused on the problem very, very quickly. And it's largely been focused on natural disasters. Uh, And it's served us pretty well here in the past, frankly, and we do pretty well in managing those types of events. But what we've seen with the pandemic and what we, I think, what we can potentially see with greater threats like For example, a cyber strike on the United States, uh, an attack on our infrastructure, our critical energy uh, grid infrastructure. These types of things, these sustained national emergencies, really expose vulnerabilities. So, including these types of events into the Stafford Act allows uh, the government to more quickly declare an emergency, get resources going the right direction, and importantly, get it into the right lanes um, so that we can uh, we can address this.
1: And one of your high-up recommendations is prioritizing the exercising and testing of plans. And when it comes to kinetic types of events like floods and fires, hurricanes, we're pretty good at testing those. And there have been live fire and suburni type of events that we can get people in motion. Something like a pandemic, there's little more subtle exercise required. What do you envision happening in a case like that, where it's hard to exercise because you don't move fire trucks and large numbers of people around? In the case of a pandemic,
0: yeah, it's a great point, Tom. So you know, I, I think uh, you know, in this in this area, this is an area where simulation can help us a lot. And you know, the military does this a lot. They simulate things and it allow puts people into realistic environments. And uh, and so this is a this is a way you we can simulate the actual uh, activities of a pandemic. Or or some other widespread uh, piece here. The more important part of the exercise is bringing the actual leadership together to have to work through the problems. I think one of the challenges we do have is that when when the pressure is not on or we're not faced with an immediate crisis, it's too easy to delegate participation in those types of important preparatory exercises to lower levels. But it's really important to get the decision makers in it. So well-crafted, focused exercises that make good use of simulation and really drive interaction between different parts of the government and, and include the include the decision makers is the most important aspect of this.
1: And in what we've seen in the past year, it seems like the civilian muscle is the one that needs development here because as a retired CENTCOM commander, you must be a little uneasy at the degree to which the military and the National Guard was used in some situations for a domestic pandemic.
0: Well, I'm sure. That, I mean, this is, this is a muscle movement within the military in terms of preparing for things. It's it's really part of, I think, what the American people expect us to do. And it's, it's part of the culture that we have. And, you know, I, I mean, I think the military, at least from my own experience i mean we're very uh, happy to support uh, civilian leaders wherever we have here in the united states or overseas wherever it has to be but i also think we have to be careful about always plying military solutions to these problems in many cases even the military with all the resources people and everything it has doesn't have everything. And what we learn about it, uh, an incident like the pandemic is that it takes all levels of government and it takes all sectors, public, private, and civil, to come together. When you bring them together, that's where the resources are to actually get after the problem.
1: We're speaking with retired Army General Joseph Fotel, President and CEO of the Business Executives for National Security. And everybody deals with supply chains, whether military or civilian. And we really found some flaws in supply chains both at the source of supply and in the ability to get them distributed, and so how can the idea of stockpiling and logistics come into better play in something like a pandemic?
0: Well, you know, I think uh, first and foremost we have to have a serious discussion and make some decisions about the supplies that we need in our in our national stockpile. This has to be done. This is part of the exercise program. This is part of the preparatory work to make sure we have a good idea of what it is that we need to have in there. Second of all, we need to make sure that we have a way for the private sector to contribute to that and to understand where additional supplies may be so one of the recommendations we make is a is uh, the establishment of a national disaster app that uh, private sector uh, uh, businesses can opt into. It would give them situational awareness, give them the ability to share information and to understand the bigger piece and, and know, where the, know where supplies are. The final piece we recommend is the establishment of a surge center within the National Response Coordination Center at FEMA. The idea of surge is getting the right people, supplies, equipment to the right place at the right time. And And we don't really have a great... Um, mechanism to do that. We don't have a great common operational picture to put it in military parlance as to what's going on. So the surge center really is designed to perform that function for us.
1: Because I think the private sector and the supply chain logistics piece of this would really be important because what we've found in past stockpilings is that things go bad sitting in a warehouse. Sure. And if you even a mask could deteriorate sitting for 10 years or something. And so you need that ability to get fresh in there in large quantities. So that's
0: that's 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 exactly right. And and this is why, you know, one of the things that really has to take place is the discussions between the private sector and government partners over the supply uh, over our, our stockpile and uh, being able to rotate things in and out and, and incentivizing businesses to do that and participate in the program. I think this is really, really, really important. And we have to stop looking at private sector as vendors and we have to look at them as partners uh, in in addressing these types of uh, types of problems.
1: And also having private sector and government allied in the whole information area. We saw this in the latter phases finally of the vaccination distribution my own experience was you go from CDC to your state site but what really got it done was CVS
0: right yeah the the you know the whole communications piece of this i think is extraordinarily important in terms of how we do this and it has to it has to start at the top uh, with the federal government in terms of providing clear information and and really working i think to get people aligned up and down, from you know, state from federal all the way down to local level, as much as we can, and then across the sectors to make sure people understand what the priorities are, where the needs are, what the approach is, and how we're how we're communicating to the American public about it. These, I think, are are, are incredibly important things, and uh, and everyone has to be involved, but it has to start at the top.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, looking in summary at your report, there's a couple things Congress needs to do, but primarily it is just execution practice and tightening on the part of the executive branch, I would say, is how your main findings come down.
0: That's true. There are a few things that uh, that Congress can do, and there are some policy and organizational things that uh, the administration and the, and the departments um, can do but but i also i, I also want to make sure that we that we highlight that there this is a linkage down to the state and local level as well in general we we talked to a number of state emergency managers as part of our process and 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 almost to an organization they were excellent in terms of what they do and they serve the people their citizens of their state quite well but they have challenges as well they have challenges in technology they have challenges in communication you know we have 50 different systems out here under our you know, kind of our federal approach here. Uh, and so we have got to work to link better uh, up and uh, all the way up and down the chain. And that only works when people are, are, are have the willingness to, you know, to, to, to kind of self-synchronize and self-align up and down.
1: As this report gets out, you have presented it to the subcommittee in the Senate and so on so far. Are you getting nods like, yeah, you guys are right on this?
0: Yeah, we, we have. We've gotten uh, some really great support. Uh, Senator Maggie Hassan, who was the chair of the subcommittee we talked to last week, was actually one of our commissioners, as was Senator Bill Cassidy. And both of them have been extraordinary in this. We've had other uh, members of Congress, John Katko from New York, Alyssa Slotkin from, from Michigan, have been key interlocutors. And we've talked to a variety of others as well who all have interests. And they have, in some cases, their specific interests for them. Um, but. In in, uh, in other interests, they're, they're more they they are really focused on this. So yes, we're we're getting traction on this. We know it's a campaign plan, and and we know it's going to take some time.
1: What's next on the plate for Ben's now?
0: We're like everybody else. We're we're starting to emerge out of the out of the pandemic here and trying to return to the new normal here. How we bring people back together, but do it in a safe manner, but also accommodate people that are going to continue to participate virtually. We're very keen to to make sure that uh, we. I, I think the area we're paying a lot of attention to right now, Tom, is this idea of competitiveness. You know, the national security strategy really focuses in on this, uh, and we're, we're, we're not going to Really advise uh, the department and how to military <clears throat> Department of Defense, on how to military do that. But there is a private sector component to this, and so one of the key things that we want to try to do is help understand that, and then make uh, make the broader private sector understand exactly what is at stake with this competition that we have, particularly with China.
1: Retired Army General Joseph Fotel is president and CEO of the Business Executives for National Security. Thanks so much for joining me,
0: Tom. Great to be with you. Thanks.
1: Find this interview and a link to the latest findings at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WAPA.
2: Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the Conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I, think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question, leadership today is tested like never before. Um, Today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with, there are many new factors. And it's drawing, like never before, on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move Groups of people, how do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him it inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space in the government space still exists today. Well that about says it all but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades uh, I've led. This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to Leaders, which are similarly inspired, and can share their learnings over a lifetime, and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service.
1: Grab a 30-day free trial of
0: Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live-streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.